0: Hello and thanks for joining us. This is Search for Truth, the Bible teaching programme brought to you from the Churches of God in the UK and worldwide. Our Bible teacher, Brian uh, Brian Johnston, begins a new series today called No Compromise. Today's subtitle is Is Obedience Really Too Hard? And it begins with a love story which I think you'll enjoy. So here's Brian to tell us.
1: Thanks, John. As a man walked home one day he found a wallet someone had lost lying in the street. He picked it up and searched it for identification in order to be able to contact its owner. But he only found three dollars and a crumpled letter that looked as if it had been in there for years. The envelope was worn and the only legible thing was the return address. Then he saw the date, 1924. The letter had been written almost 60 years earlier. It was written in a girl's handwriting, to someone whose name appeared to be Michael, whom it seemed she was never to see again, because her mother had said that their friendship was to stop. She was writing to say she'd still always love him, and signed off as Hannah. It was a beautiful letter, but there was no way to identify the owner of the wallet, except for the name Michael. But wait, there was one lead. Hannah had put a return address. The telephone exchange confirmed there was a phone listing for Hannah's return address on the envelope, and the supervisor said that as a courtesy she'd call the number and explain the situation. The woman on the other end of the line said they'd bought their house from a family who did have a daughter named Hannah, but that was 30 years ago. Then she added that they'd kept in touch and she knew that Hannah had placed her mother in a certain nursing home some years ago. Well, This in turn led to another phone call, this time of course to the nursing home, during which it was explained that the old lady had passed away some years ago. But the nursing home did have a phone number for where the daughter might be living. Phoning that number next revealed the fact that Hannah herself was now living in a nursing home. And so it was that the finder of the wallet finally came to call the nursing home in which Hannah was supposed to be living to be told, yes, Hannah is staying with us. It was by now already ten p.m., and he asked if he could come to see her. The night nurse and a guard greeted him at the door. They went up to the third floor of the large building. In the day room, the nurse introduced him to Hannah. She was a sweet, silver-haired old-timer with a warm smile and a twinkle in her eyes. He told her about finding the wallet and showed her the letter. The second she saw it, she took a deep breath and said, This letter was the last contact I ever had with Michael. I loved him very much, but I was only sixteen at the time, and mother felt I was too young. Yes, she continued, Michael Goldstein was a wonderful person. If you should find him, tell him I think of him often. And, she hesitated for a moment, I never did marry, I guess no one ever matched up to Michael. When the security guard inquired how his visit to Hannah had been, the man, now on his way out, explained the whole story about how it really all been about trying to find the owner of a wallet that he'd found. He produced the wallet, and when the guard saw it, he immediately said, Hey, wait a minute, that's Mr Goldstein's wallet. I'd know it anywhere. With that bright red lacing. He's always losing it. I must have found it in the halls at least three times already. He's one of the old timers on the eighth floor. That's Mike Goldstein's wallet for sure. He must have lost it on one of his walks. And so a hurried visit was immediately paid to the day room on the eighth floor. The same nurse went over to Mr Goldstein, who put his hand in his back pocket and confirmed his wallet was missing, and that the one being offered to him was indeed his. The finder of the wallet then admitted that he read the letter explaining he'd done so in the hope of finding out who owned the wallet. And then he added, Not only did I read it, but I think I know where Hannah is. The old man smiled and asked, Could you tell me where she is? I was so in love with that girl that when that letter came, my life seemed to end. I never married. I guess I've always loved her. Soon the elevator was making its way down from the eighth to the third floor. The hallways were darkened, but one or two nightlights lit the way to the day room, where Hannah was still watching television alone. The nurse walked over to her. Hannah, she said softly, pointing to Michael. Do you know this man? She adjusted her glasses, looked for a moment, but didn't say a word. Michael said softly, almost in a whisper, Hannah, it's Michael, do you remember me? She gasped, Michael! I don't believe it. Michael, it's you, my Michael. He walked slowly toward her and they embraced. About three weeks later, they were married, with all the people in the nursing home joining in the celebration. They were given their own room and a 76-year-old bride and a 79-year-old groom acted like two teenagers, the two teenagers they'd been when they were forced apart some 60 years before. Think of it. A young man loved his girl so much that he stayed faithful to her and remained single his whole life long because he couldn't love another woman the same way. And a teenage woman remained true to her first love even as she obeyed her parents' wishes. By contrast, the Apostle John wrote to some Christians who'd left their first love. That's in Revelation 2. And James wrote to Christians who'd failed to remain faithful to the Lord but had become friends of the world instead. That's in James chapter 4. One day long ago, God asked the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah to visit a small group of people called the Rechabites to invite them to the temple and in a side room there to offer them wine to drink. You can read about this in Jeremiah chapter 35. Well, Jeremiah makes the arrangements and brings them in. He brings out a tray of glasses filled with wine, just as God has instructed him. But then, most likely, he noticed a sense of discomfort among his guests. I'm sorry, says the leader of the group. Didn't you know that we don't drink wine, and we haven't done so for generations? One of our ancestors, a devout man, commanded us never to drink wine. To this day, we never drink wine. Perhaps Jeremiah was then puzzled, as to why God had asked him to do this. Then, in effect, God explained, I just wanted you to see a living example of how it's possible even for an earthly father to command obedience that lasts for generations. But I've spoken to my people again and again, but they've not obeyed me. They just keep on making excuses for not serving me. A human being can be determined enough to follow an earthly leader. By the sheer power of the human will and by rigid discipline, a man can observe a really tough set of rules. What then does that say about Christians, who despite the regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit can still live unfaithful, disobedient lives? It's hard to understand how we can compare so unfavourably with unbelievers in this regard, until, that is, We go back to look again at what James really says in all its entirety. He asks in James 4 verse 1, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures? You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's hard to think of this being the behaviour of believers, but it was. Believers become special targets of the adversary, and he uses our own lust to bring us down. These were believers, here in James chapter 4, believers whose flesh, or sinful nature, was out of control. And James goes on to tell them that the Bible's always been reminding us that our human spirit, as influenced by our fallen flesh nature, tends only to envy and lust. And that's what's behind us, never being satisfied, with the grass on the other side always seeming to be greener than where we are. When we find that happening, it's because our flesh, our fallen sinful nature, is exerting a greater influence on us than God's Holy Spirit is exerting on us. The remedy is found in the uncompromising words of the Lord Jesus Christ when he said in Luke chapter 9 and 23, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Notice the uncompromising self-effacing, self-denying, self sacrificing message of those words. But yes, a crucifying of the flesh with its passions and desires is what makes possible our living and walking by the Spirit, praying also that we may be strengthened with power through his Spirit in our inner being, as Ephesians 3 and 16 says, to the end that we'll discover that God really is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we currently do, ask or think, according to the power that already works within us. Let's ask for more of God's power, the power that's already at work within us, so that by living according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, we'll then be able, enabled by God, to obey and stay faithful, never leaving our first love.
0: I hope you enjoyed the love story as much as I did, and I hope you enjoyed the hymn we just had. The response to true love is to give love in return, and the Christmas song in the bleak midwinter ends with the words What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. What I have I give him, give him my heart. Now as usual, we've a free booklet to accompany the series and if you'd like us to send you one or more copies for group studies, ask for the title, No Compromise, and you can contact us by email or by post, and here's the address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Leicester, LE56LN, UK. And the email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You can also find some past programmes from Search for Truth and helpful material on our website. Just go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk So thanks for your company today. Please join us next week if you can. But until then, it's our very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So goodbye for now and may God's blessing go with you.